Welcome to our weekly podcast. This podcast is special for the upcoming holiday of Purim. Purim is a unique day in the Jewish calendar, perhaps often misunderstood. The Talmud tells us that a person should drink alcoholic beverages on Purim until he doesn't know the difference between blessed is Mordechai and cursed is Haman. These words oftentimes lead to a lot of confusion and misunderstanding. Purim was often understood as a holiday or sort of like let go, let, li- let loose. Everybody needs a little bit of an opportunity to be able to, to be able to have a day of frivolity. And that's why Purim is re- recognized as a day let loose of custom, fun, and joy, etc. Now indeed, Purim is a day of fun. The Apostle tells us in the Megillah, there was joy and great mirth on that day too. And there's a day of celebration for that matter. But on the other hand, Purim is actually quite a serious day. The rabbis tell us that there was a, a new rededication to accepting the Torah on, on Purim because of the whole miracle that took place. And again, Purim is ushered in by the three days of fasting that Mordechai and the Jewish people fasted before Esther went into the palace of Achashverosh. So granted, the fact that the, the, because of the Purim miracle, the Jewish people's enemies were destroyed, decimated, but nevertheless, it's a, it's a holy day. Everybody tell us a person can accomplish great, great accomplishments, spiritual accomplishments in this day of Purim. So it's difficult for us to understand how these two can be, how can be justified, really. The concept itself of drinking until the imbibing, to the idea of, of intoxication, until you lose your mind, so to say, doesn't seem to fit in very well with our understanding of Judaism and our understanding of Torah, the importance of maintaining our mind and discipline throughout the year. Let's perhaps understand an interesting idea. In the Megillah we find, after Haman was hanged, Achashverosh sent out a new decree throughout the kingdom. He sealed with the king's ring, and they said that the Jews would be permitted in every city to gather together and to defend themselves, to destroy, kill, and annihilate every, every armed force from any nation or state that threatens them. In other words, although the nations had been given permission to destroy the Jewish people, come the 13th day of Adar, the king now gave permission for the Jews in every city to gather and to defend themselves and to, and to actually kill their enemies too. Later, the king allowed the people of Shushan an additional day. The Megillah says on the 13th day of Adar, the Jews in Shushan killed 500 men, besides the 10 sons of Haman. And the following day on the 14th day, it, was a, it says the Jews in Shushan killed an additional 300 men. In the other provinces, the Megillah says, they killed an additional 75,000 of their enemies. Now, it seems kind of strange that if, since it was only the Jewish people were given permission to be able to defend themselves against their enemies, so it would seem that there, these 75,800 men who were killed had actually tried to attack the Jewish people. That seems absurd. If they knew beforehand that the Jewish people were given express permission and that their sister Esther was the queen and Mordechai had become the prime minister in the interim, it seems kind of absurd how anybody would be willing to stand up and try to fight the Jewish people at that point in time. Why were there 75,800 people that were ready to attack the Jewish people and, and the result of that they were all killed? This is especially difficult to understand since by then everybody had already witnessed the downfall of Haman. 
Hamor, who had been the initiator of this decree to wipe out the Jewish people, was now hanging on a tree. So it seems difficult. How is it possible that these people would have had the, had the temerity to stand up against the Jewish people? Perhaps we can explain this, though, with an interesting comment found in the Targum Shani. The Targum Shani says that all these 75,000 people that were killed were descendants of Amalek. Haman, we know, was an Agagi, the descendant of Amalek. And all these people that rose to attack the Jewish people were also Amalekim. We recall that Achashverosh was the king of the entire population at that time. And therefore, there are many, many other nations too. But it was only the nation of Amalek that rose to be able to fight the Jewish people. Well, the Jewish people first left Egypt many years earlier. Amalek attacked them at that point in time. The Torah tells us that they were supposed to remember what Amalek did, Asher Korcha Baderech. Korcha literally means that they chanced upon you. But the Rashi tells us from the Medrash that the word Korcha comes from the word Kar, which means cold, as if they cooled off the Jewish people. The Midrash compares this to a person who jumped into a scalding bath. Although the person himself was burned, nevertheless, he cooled the water for other people. Other people say it's possible to go in. Okay, granted, the first person was, was, was scalded, but he may have cooled it off and he waited a little bit longer, everybody else would be able to jump in too. That's the same thing. When the Jewish people left Egypt, we say in the Az Yashir, that all the nations of the world were frightened. Shamu Amim Yergozel, the nations heard and they were frightened. Chil Achaz Yoshve Plushes, the people of Philistine were filled with dread. Ele Moav Yachazim Arad, people of Moab were, were, were shaking, as were the people of Canaan also. They all were frightened because of all the miracles that they had seen that had taken place when the Jewish people left Egypt and how the Egyptians had drowned at the sea. All the nations were frightened except for one. When the Jewish people came over, came out of the sea, almost immediately, a Molik rose and fought them. It was suicidal. They saw what had happened. They knew they would never have a chance of winning the Jewish people. But nevertheless, the Abba's Talmud their intention was to just cool off the Jewish people. Their intention was to wipe out the Jewish people to the extent they possibly could. They were fully willing to commit suicide if that's what it would take to be able to cool off the Jewish people to make them to make them touchable, so to say, to make them the targets of other nations as well as themselves. That was the purpose of a Amalek. That's the reason why we have a mitzvah of remembering Amalek, Mechiyas Amalek, Zechiras Amalek, remembering what Amalek did to us and wiping out, wiping out any, any, any vestiges of Amalek that remains in the world is supposed to be destroyed. We see over here that Amalek's hatred ran so deep that they literally led them to behaving in an insane manner, without thinking at all. During the reign of Achashverosh, this same irrationality prevailed also. Although the Molechim had seen their own Haman hanging by the gallows, and they knew the tables had now turned, and they knew that the king was now coming to the aid of the Jewish people, they rose to fight anyway. They are going to try to attack him the best they could, and they were all killed. This is the same idea that was seen in the much later descendants of Amalek, the Nazis, may the name be obliterated. In the waning days of World War II, when it was pretty clear that the Nazis 
were losing the war and that Germany would be forced to surrender shortly. It would have made sense for the Germans to do whatever they possibly could, perhaps either to flee, to escape, or to try to try to bolster the front of war against their enemies. But they didn't do that. In the, late, in the winning days of the war, well, they put all of their focus on trying to exterminate as many more Jews as they possibly could, knowing fully well that they were losing and fully well that they would, be, they would, they would pay for this for their, for their crimes also, which indeed did happen. But that's Amalek. Totally irrational. The hatred ran so deep that literally they didn't think carefully. They, didn't, they weren't interested in thinking. They were willing to do whatever damage they could do to the Jewish people, they would try to do even at the risk and knowing fully well that this would, this would harm them. To counter this animosity of Amalek, this irrational animosity of Amalek, the rabbis obligated us to celebrate Purim to the level of irrationality. We're supposed to drink on Purim to the extent that we don't know the difference between blessing Mordechai and cursing Haman. What that means to say is that there are, certainly it's true that Amalekim also behaved in an irrational manner. But the Amalekim's irrationality, what happened over there was it led them to behaving in a manner which was cruel, to be destructive as they possibly could. When the Jew behaves in an irrational manner, he doesn't know the difference between blessing Mordechai and cursing Haman, but nevertheless, what do they do? They fulfill the mitzvahs of Purim, the Mishloach Manos, giving gifts of food to one another, Batanas Sevyonim, gifts to the poor. We draw that distinction on Purim to show the distinct, show the contrast between people whose extreme hatred can lead them to irrationality and a people whose love of the God of Hashem drives them to a point beyond reason as well too. There cannot be a greater, more pronounced disparity between these two people, between these two nations, nations of the Jewish people and the, and the nation of Amalek. And it's that disparity that we celebrate on Purim. Have a joyous and enjoyable Purim to one and to all. Ever think about starting your own podcast? The Maverick Podcasting Network makes creating and running your podcast easy and fun. Visit maverickpodcasting.com to get started today.